Oh, hi. Welcome in. You're here for the Echoplex Media Broadcast. Oh, great. Me too. Uh, my podcast, the Full Dash Closure Audiobook and Podcast, actually sponsors Echoplex Media. Yeah. We're also on, on podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, uh, you name it. We're, we're on there. Yeah, it's about um, not just the gig economy, but corporate AI and the future of human employment and our economy. Uh, and it's it's really applicable to everybody. I think you'll be fascinated. So check it out. We've actually got uh, 14 episodes now. So um yeah, yeah, check that out. Let's uh let's 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 watch Echoplex Media now. You have to understand what the communists do is urinate on everything. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do what. I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I got everything I need I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark No one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant And just as easily flee like my straight white male dad did to me So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors And I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling tons of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Alright everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree We do the show live on Twitch Every Wednesday at 7pm Pacific That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia You can support this project at eplex.store By buying some swag or joining via a membership The membership works just like Patreon if you're already a Patreon user and don't want to sign up for some other shit, I totally understand it, but you don't get the extra discounts that you get when you sign up via our fourth wall shop. That's patreon.com slash echoplex. And of course, bits, subs, um, donations via Streamlab. If you go down to the about section on the live page uh, and you hit the little Streamlabs logo, you can tip us there. Uh, we like your money, but we don't do this for the money. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been doing this for fucking six years. I'm producer Dave, and you can find me on Grinder. <laughs> I'm HK Perrin. You can find me on Mastodon at hperrin at port87.social. And that's our Mastodon instance. That is. Yeah. 
So if you have never been on Mastodon, hit up port87.social and join, and you'll see some familiar faces there. But we're not here to talk about Mastodon, though we do have a tech show. How the tech are you? Look it up on your favorite podcatcher. I didn't post the podcast of it today because I've been a busy gay. Happy Pride Month, everybody. And in our ongoing celebration of Pride Month, I present to you, you might already be a member, Dr. James Lindsay on The Jordan Peterson Show. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? That jacket is a, you know what? That's a great jacket. I, 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 I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. That's a great fucking jacket. Um, I wouldn't wear it myself, but it, yes, it is a great jacket. What if it had a picture of a benzodiazepine pill on it instead of a lobster? <laughs> Uh, no, if it had a picture of a Ritalin pill, I'd wear that for sure. Fair enough. But that's a great jacket. Although the tie, I'd go with a tie that matched the blue on the jacket a little bit more. But generally, he's a pretty snappy dresser, usually. Today, I'm speaking with author. You know what? It, mathematician. And it is a very cute jacket. You know what, Jordan? You're looking very cute today. Everyone watching and listening. Today, I'm speaking with author mathematician and political commentator dr james Lindsay. he's just a cute little boy we discuss marxism how it evolved i always get my fucking views on marxism from mathematicians singular ideology into a genus spawning many oppressor slash oppressed dogmas across modern culture ideas such as equity critical race theory queer theory we trace these sub-Marxist doctrines back past fundamental narrative into the theological realm. <laughs> this is going to be really difficult. Utility in, uh, what would you say, justifying the acquisition of power. He was looking for the answer in his hands. Discuss the grievance studies affair, of which Dr. Lindsay was a co-author. So, James, I kind of feel like I know you. I follow you on Twitter and watch all the trouble you cause, or some of it anyways. And Do they not know each other? A number of years ago, they're like in the same Alan circle, and Peter. And uh, I'm guessing this is the first time they've don't met. Know you, and so it's also possible that Jordan Peterson met him during you know a certain part of his life and just doesn't remember it. Who knows? Start with that. <laughs> I'd like to know a little bit more about you, and let's let everybody who's watching and listening know too. So, um, let's say what what are what are you when you're not causing trouble on Twitter? What are you involved in at the moment? <laughs> I think causing. What is your what is your actual life look like? Uh, it's causing trouble on the road is what I'm involved okay, in. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, Twitter overlaps with the road because it lives in my pocket. So, you know, that's convenient, but I do a lot of speaking. Don't tweet and drive, James. I've had the, the privilege this year of getting to speak all over the world. I got to speak at the EU parliament. That was great. Um, right, right, right. And because it's really funny. Everybody's telling me that. I, and I think it's true. This is the best public speech you've ever given, Paul. And so what a, you know, what a setting to hit the one oh, that well, you hit. Congratulations good, right? on that front. Well, it turns out that the night before, it's a silly story. The night before I had a smaller meeting in a restaurant with a number of the MEPs from different countries. And I'm trying to talk. And I tend to be humorous and speak quickly, and this um, is my style. maybe the second one, not the first one. You don't got jokes, friendo. <laughs> and then all my jokes were landing flat, and I got kind of awkward. And I realized uh, it's, they don't speak English. Is that unusual? English is not. That's not why. Uh, when you tell jokes in the United States and they fall flat, do most of the people there not speak English, James? <laughs> also, like most people in 
the European Union speak whatever their home country's language is and English, especially if they're of a certain socioeconomic status. Yeah, maybe everyone there told him they didn't speak English. <laughs> you know, he walks up to him and they're all. like, you know, oh, well, I don't speak rough. English. <laughs> on the joke front. So then I had to start slowing down and I got really conscious of slowing down and enunciating and, and trying to use simpler terminology to, to talk about, you know, neo-Marxism and postmodernism. It's very difficult. So I gave this speech and it just happened to work out. But I've had this mm -hmm. privilege. So, you know, 175 flights I took last year uh -huh. uh, to give you a, a feel for how much on the road there is uh, getting around. God, imagine getting stuck next to him on the fucking plane. Oh, no. <laughs> With grassroots You're like, can I go over closer to the crying baby, please? <laughs> or just like jump out right is there is there a parachute somewhere in here we're close <laughs> enough to my destination or better yet push him out no 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 no, no, no. give him a parachute political stuff or legislators <laughs> but mostly he's a parachute moms expert and dads that are trying to do something in this country and, and around other well, canada as well to try to change are you mostly in north america when you're traveling overwhelmingly just in the u.s uh, uh -huh. overwhelmingly uh -huh. how did the eu invitation come about they reached out to me, so I'm not exactly sure how they, they got connected with me. Hmm. But one of the MEPs, they put together a conference uh, at the EU Parliament to talk about... Was that in Brussels? It was in Brussels. It was in Brussels. Yeah. Were it's you a, in their terrible building in Brussels? I was. And the with huge the very, airport? Yeah, a huge airport. With, uh, uh, you've been, right? I just, yeah. So you the know the... Ultimate Tower of Babel. So there's that place. park back behind it that has the ostriches. You know about these statues. Mm -hmm. So there's a small park. It's, you know, not very big, however many square meters. Very small, grassy area. And there's all these strange statues. And you come on it and you say, three-legged statues. It looks like aliens. And you get closer and you realize they're all ostriches with their heads stuck in the ground. And I thought, what? Oh, okay. Wait. I thought he was going to say something else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, all these statues uh, have three and, legs. What's going yeah, on here? And so how were you received there? Well, it was a conservative group. It was a center-right European party called Identity yeah. Democracy uh -huh. Foundation. So Identity Democracy sounds a bit fascist to me. <laughs> that word identity right there is doing all the work very warm to me i actually had a handful of uh there was a, a student group from the foundation that was also present at the eu at the same time oh, they have it was the and turning point usa maybe over a hundred of them came right. and so I, I got a lot of feedback actually they sent me messages as one does on instagram or whatever and said you know this was amazing this was yeah great. well the eu speech kind of went viral didn't it it did yeah it really took off it actually it kind of lurked for a month and then it exploded about a month later and it's still just going crazy right now hmm. Hmm. and so you said you slowed down and you enunciated more carefully and but what do you think you what do you think you hit on that that made it so attractive as a speech well i was the question of the the whole conference which is a three you know three meeting mm -hmm. session that I, I was at the first one it was what is woke and what does it mean for europe how how rude he didn't stay for the other people's speeches what a dick <laughs> it's like if you're it's like if you're the if you're the if you're like the 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 headline dj at an event and you show up 10 minutes before you're set that that that's that kind of dick move <laughs> And they flew him across the Atlantic to to go to this thing. I wish I would have sent him there in a submarine. 
And so I tried <laughs> to give, a, in a sense, a genealogy of woke. And actually, a taxonomy is more accurate. I started off by saying, well, I think that woke is, in fact, Marxism that's evolved to attack mm-hmm. the West. Mm-hmm. And the techniques it's using are reminiscent of Mao's cultural revolution. Where does he think Marxism came from? It came from the West. Marx was European. And so you can say that it's Marxist or Maoist. But then I said, we can't understand that unless we understand Marxism in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. If we focus on his economic analysis and capital, we miss the entire picture. If we take a step back and say that he outlined an entire theory of man and the world and our behavior in it and the meaning of life and purpose, uh, telos for for our... our So if we just make up a bunch of shit about Marxism so that we can make it scarier to uh, uh, bigots... Then uh, we can we can talk about this a little bit more and blame it for wokeism, <laughs> which is to transform the world into the socialist utopia to advance history to its intended end. Then you can see that the particular like I'm all for transforming the world into a socialist utopia, but I mean what they call woke is not that. I'm terrified of anybody that promises me utopia. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I don't think it would be possible to transform the world into a social socialist utopia, but I'd be all for it if we could. If it's economic analysis yeah, for yeah. Marx, then you get classical. Yeah, and I'm all for making it more socialist than it is now, which is certainly possible. Mode of analysis becomes fungible. If it's economic analysis yeah, for yeah. Marx, then you get classical Marxism. If it's race analysis for the critical race theorists, it's Almost, you have to massage around the edges, but right. the, it's almost the exact same architecture. Yeah, well, that's well, well, it's, no, it's not. But if you if you distill it down to the people with power being dicks, I suppose it's all the same argument, sure. But then, like, that's just every political argument from like uh, a populist or um, from like a populist perspective, right? If people in power being dicks is everyone's argument from like. Bernie Sanders to Donald Trump and everybody in between. I mean, the people in power are being dicks and they're fucking you over. That's even like what the conspiracy theorists say. Like everybody says that we even say a version of that, but I don't like, I'm not just going to be like, well, that's all Marxism because that's stupid. (laughs) It's like the, who is, who's the people in power? What are they doing? That's dickish. What needs to change? And how are we going to go change it? That's like, what is your political ideology? Essentially. And this guy's just like, no, as soon as you start like saying, oh, there's a little bit of a layer cake in society and the people at the top are taking advantage, that's Marxism. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Seemed to me to be, you know, one of the things that's been disturbing, I suppose, on the gaslighting front is whenever I draw a relationship between postmodernism and neo-Marxism, first of all, people say two things. All right, one more time. Postmodernism is largely the rejection of modernism and its grand narratives about the world. Marxism is a grand narrative about the world. Thank you for attending my uh, economics and uh, sociology class. I don't know what I'm talking about, which, by the way, is rarely the case. And second, (laughs) oh yeah, it's rarely the case that Jordan Peterson doesn't know what he's talking about. We, we haven't built an entire show based on the premise that Jordan Peterson, among others, doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> Yo, he's like, I'm being gaslit by people who are telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, sir, that's not gaslighting. They're right. <laughs> yep.
if if what you're saying is detached from reality and then someone tells you that you're detached from reality, that's not gaslighting. Correct. Yeah. Conspiratorial uh, misreading of the relationship. What would you call that? Just LED lighting? No, I would <clears throat> uh, analysis, criticism. Well, I mean, gaslighting comes from like, you know, someone turning up and down the gaslights to to convince someone that they're crazy. Uh comes from like a play, I think. Uh so like, you know, how would you convince someone that they're not crazy? Just LED lighting? I would call this sunshine is the best disinfectant. <laughs> nothing which is also actually not true. Mormonism has nothing to do with Marxism. <laughs> you know, I've taken that criticism seriously because Well, it, it, it lot, might I be think. true, but you're not going to sign you're not going to shine sunshine on like your toilet? I mean, maybe you can, but my toilet does not have a line of sight to the sun. Misreading of the relationship, that there's nothing to, that most postmodernism has nothing to do with Marxism. And, you know, I've taken that criticism seriously because it happens a lot. I think, well, you know, is there some manner in which I have this wrong? And then I go back as much as I can to the source documents, including Foucault, and I think, and Derrida, and I think, well, they said they were Marxists. That seems like, you know, proof. And uh, the entire intellectual milieu at that time in France was Marxist, in, including people who should have known better, like Jean-Paul Sartre. So it's like that was the that was the water in which which those particular fish swam. And the postmodernists, when they themselves say that, so like. Him and Lindsay both do this thing where they feel like where if they can name a couple people who they thought were like influential thinkers of the time, that that's just sort of what everybody was thinking at the time. But like most of the people at that time had no idea who the fuck these people were because we didn't have Twitter. Right. And like literature wasn't being distributed. Like books were harder to get your hands on and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like these were maybe big influential thinkers in academia in certain places at the time, but this wasn't like, like pushing the narrative of an entire country. It didn't work like that. It still really doesn't work like that. It, it's closer to that now, but it still doesn't really work like that. That their, what would you say that their intellectual effort is tending in the Marxist direction or as an extension of Marxism. I'm pretty much inclined to believe them and so I don't understand how this notion that those two, two concepts are separate has come about. Do you, do you have any, any idea about that? I do. I've thought tremendously on this question, and I believe I have an answer. And kind of like yourself, if I open my mouth, usually I've thought about something before I, I spout off. And in this case, it's the nature of the way these theories evolve. They evolve through what technically it's called dialectical critique. Oh, get and the so fuck out of here. Descendant theory, say if we use Marxism as, as, as the common ancestor, if you will. And that's this is I mean. also really a really elitist way to talk about the way the world was operating at the time, right? Because it's just a few fucking hoity-toity intellectuals engaged in, uh, what do you say, di dialectics. Not like <clears throat> there's an entire society, most of whom aren't intellectuals, who also talk about shit and probably have a lot more influence as a group than this handful of intellectuals did because there's just a fucking lot more of them. Like, yeah. Did, by the way, in the EU, as I said, it's think of Marxism as a genus 
And right. then you have all these species. Well, yeah. postmodernism is a species, but they evolve through dialectical critique. So for each new derivative that comes out, say postmodernism, they have to create themselves by giving a critique of the thing that they were before. So they start by saying, here's where Marxism is wrong. Mm -hmm. And academics hyper-focus on these distinctions and they say, look, I see. They so said, that's what you think they say, just like you say, well, they say that they're Marxists. That looks like proof. They say, well, they said we're criticizing Marx. So that's proof that they're different. And the neo-Marxists are no exception. And you'll find I literal see. So you Marxists think it's today. narcissism of small differences, to I use do. the Freudian term. I do. Yeah, so yeah but the, you're not narcissistic on some old dead dude's behalf, are you? Like, how can you be narcissistic on the behalf of Foucault? Motherfucker dead. <laughs> analysis at which these i think your genus and species uh metaphor is a good one so there's a there's a level of analysis at which these are all variations on a theme and there's another level of analysis where that well no they're distinctly different which is exactly what does happen in academic micro arguments right so you think part of that's well i think part of it's just the attempt to sow confusion as well oh probably you know, and yes. so or and then also ignorance on the part of the critics because they just don't know enough about what they're talking about to even know that there's a relationship right but you want you're a psychologist a clinical psychologist the dude sitting across from you is a mathematician the academics who are criticizing you about this are probably like historians and sociologists and philosophers. So Jordan Peterson cosplays as a philosopher. Man, I just keep saying you, you, you go to a dinner party. Somebody says, "Oh, I'm really into philosophy." You're like, "Oh, look at look at time. I I should be uh, talking to someone else right now." <laughs> <laughs> between postmodernism and neo-Marxism and, and Marxism. I guess the other issue, too, is that in principle, the postmodernists were skeptical of meta-narratives. Mm -hmm. And it does seem not unreasonable to point out that Marxism is a grand meta-narrative. Yeah. So if you're skeptical about meta-narratives, you know, you might start out by being skeptical about Marxism. And if you just focused on the postmodern exactly what Dave said, meta-narrative, then you'd say, well, it couldn't be allied with Marxism because Marxism is a meta-narrative. But my response to that would be, what makes you think that incoherence ever bothered a postmodernist? <laughs> right. right. In fact, they specialize in incoherence. What the fuck? No, no, no. You know what? I'm just gonna let this one go. I can't. I fucking. I can't do this again. I, I've done this. One, I've done this so many fucking times. You can, in fact, be of a school of thought while being critical of aspects of that school of thought. It is not impossible. In fact, it is necessary. You will necessarily have critiques of certain parts of a narrative that you generally believe in. It's like if you like a TV show and then one of the episodes was a was a stinker. <laughs> because it can sow discord and chaos most effectively. This so, is why this this metaphor, the genus species, is so important. And for me, this, you know, well, Marxism is a grand meta-narrative, et cetera. This is almost like saying, imagine that the the animal clade that we're talking about has something to do with cats. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now we have cats, tigers. Well, tigers have a tail, right? And and then Lions and lions have a tail, and house cats house cats have a tail. Mm -hmm. So cats have tails, right? Well, not bobcats, not lynxes. Right. And so if we right, think of the right. tail as being a grand meta narrative, in fact, the broad historic. But the grand meta narrative of a cat isn't just the tail, you stupid motherfucker. <laughs> right. <laughs>
Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't understand where he's going with this. Well, he's it, this is just uh, what is he, remember, we always talk about. These people who have the worst analogies. He, this is just the worst <laughs> analogy. The grand meta narrative of a cat is that it kind of looks like a cat. <laughs> like you look at it, you're like, oh, that's probably some kind of cat because <laughs> it looks like a fucking cat. It's got four legs and it fucking, I don't know, it looks cuddly and shit. And uh, you shouldn't cuddle with most kinds of cats, actually. <laughs> of, of classical Marxism. You find both neo Look, if you if you want to cuddle Marxism a tiger and postmodern. I wouldn't recommend it. You should be prepared to try it once. You should be prepared to try that once. Modernism. <laughs> We're becoming skeptical of this kind of grand uh, trajectory of history narrative mm -hmm. that, that was kind of the early modern thought and as we shift from modern thinking to postmodern thinking away from the scientific and into the kind of blatantly mystical and, and romantic what the postmodernists are what? wholly characterized by did science stop advancing after modernism what is he talking about there were great scientific discoveries after the modernist period period what is he talking about you can just imagine it. It's a cat without a tail. Yeah, yeah. I see if we do this, you know, I said Marxism is economic and critical race theory is race. And we yeah, can say that yeah. queer theory is the concept of who defines what's normal. Postmodernism is really a Marxist analysis of who gets to say what things mean. So like Marxism yeah. is like the wild cats. Postmodernism is like the house cats. And queer theory is like the movie cats. Is really a Marxist analysis of who gets to say not the one that came mean. out in theaters, but the one with the, the cat buttholes. Race, theories, race, and we yeah, can say that yeah. queer theory is the concept of who defines what's normal. Postmodernism is really a Marxist analysis of who gets to say what things mean. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't even criticize that because I don't know what the fuck he means. Oh, but shit, that's fucking that's postmodern. Oh shit. I guess, I guess I don't, I guess in my postmodern analysis, I don't get to decide what the fuck he just said means. <laughs> I don't, I don't think he would understand. He would be able to explain what he means by that. Yo, come on, man. I mean, like what, like what on earth is this motherfucker talking about? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Gorka, you don't understand either. Yeah. Who gets yeah. to well, define see, it seems to me the fundamental core around which these concepts circulate is, well, one core is resentment and bitterness. There's, yes. an is he talking There's about linguistics? Like who gets to decide what a word means? I, you're <clears throat> now you're doing a postmodern trying to decide what, what you just said means. And I, I think that that's bad. Is well, one core is resentment and bitterness. There's yes. an envy. There's no doubt about that on the motivational front. Yes. But the other core, more ideological and intellectual, would be the notion that every social interaction is best viewed through the lens of oppressor and oppressed. And so then you can do that with economics, which is essentially what Marx did. But once you've established that pattern, well, it's all about victimization and power. So that I think I think it's actually the same claim that that it's it's like a neo-Christian claim that emerged out of the Middle Ages because there was a doctrine in the Middle Ages among some strands of Christian thinkers that the 
that the secular world, the, the earthly world, let's say, was the domain of Satan himself, right? Mm -hmm. It was ruled by... Yeah, but you say some version of that all the time, motherfucker. And Like, come on, man. They, they've been saying this shit about, like, atheists and non-believers and Wiccans and shit. This wasn't just from the Middle Ages. We had a whole satanic panic in the 80s about this, where they, like, thought that there was a tunnel under a preschool, like, where they were moving the children <laughs> around and shit. Did they, did they say that... Earth is the domain of Satan? I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. Fuck it, I'm saying it. Earth is the domain of Satan. <laughs> now I am the best. I am the I am the philosopher. I, I am the uh, I'll agree I am the, with I, you. I am the postmodernist philosopher of 2023. of power. And I think that's exactly what the Marxists claim except they're you know, are they in favor of that or against it? It's very difficult to say, but their fundamental claim is something like all human relationships can be understand, understood through the lens of power and oppression. I mean, that's Foucault in a nutshell, right? Yeah, because yeah. his whole theory is that everything is carceral power. Every time I yeah. say that word, I have to stop and tell it. It means prison, yeah. in, incarcerated. Well, then you think your audience is a bunch of dumb fucks if you have to tell them that carceral means generally is associated with prisons. Boy, he sure thinks that uh, the audience he's talking to is hell smart right now. That is the derivative for yeah. for people, but um, it's all about carceral power. So these these sects that you're referring to in the Middle Ages of, of kind of bizarre Christianity were actually Gnostic heresies that were developing, and I yeah. think that actually by means of of Hegel coming down through Marx, who inverted yeah. it, yeah. I believe we actually actually are looking at a Gnostic heresy yeah, that I got so hidden. Too. Yeah. Inside. Yeah, this is like name dropping. You ever been like when somebody's like, "Oh, I know the I know the lead singer of that band." Oh, I know the blah. blah. <laughs> this he's just name dropping, right? Yep. He's like name dropping like philosophers he knows. Yeah, and it's like these I just don't think that individual philosophers had that much impact on society. And to think so is a very I'd say an elitist idea. Yes. A very elitist idea um but regarding his prison comment i would say that yeah like the people with the power to imprison you generally have control over whatever aspect of the relationship they want to right but he said that every he said that like postmodernist or something i don't even know now we're saying that every relationship is like that and it's like no there's a lot of relationships uh, like friendships and stuff where people are generally more or less kind of like on an even like on an even ground with each other maybe not like you know socioeconomically you know one friend might have more money or have a you know bigger house or a nicer car or whatever but in their interpersonal relationships a lot of people just treat each other as equals yeah in fact that's otherwise you don't actually have uh, a any kind of friendship or relationship to speak of what you have is like a, a, a cult of two. <laughs> yeah. Economics, uh, yeah. If, if your friend doesn't view you as equal, then yeah, I would say they're not really your friend. Looking at maybe like, yeah, maybe that's you. what they think friendship is. Cause maybe they've never had real friends. Hidden yeah. inside of economics yeah. and social. In fact, if we read Phenomenology of Spirit from Hegel, 1807 is a publication, you get distinctly the sense that what he means by spirit is what he says he means by spirit. It's a spirit of society. Mm -hmm. It's a social phenomenon. It's kind of the, the seed of, uh, of sociology in a sense. And this 
social spiritual realm is for for Hegel quite literally because he was a heretical theologian is the the working of the Holy Spirit in the world. It's not this you know transcendent uh, third person of the Godhead. It is this. It is the functioning of human beings in the collective all and how that's moving through history. And so if we relocate as a modern transformation of kind of this heretical Christian middle age, middle ages, you know, almost new age movement of the time, mystical movement of the time, we have a very clear shift from the transcendental to the social, to the social universe representing the spirit. And so then Marx, he actually figures out the code. He says, no, Hegel's got it upside down. We focus on the idea and the state will follow and the spirit will follow the state. And he said, no, no, no. And then the, the spirit will will sublate and raise to a higher, Alfhaben in German, and raise to a higher level and we'll have a new idea and blah, blah, blah. That's his, his trinity cycle, his dialectical cycle for Hegel. Well, Marx says, no, it's upside down. We start on the ground. We do the work. We do the praxis. Do whatever. Whenever, you know what would be great is if this guy would just talk to somebody who doesn't believe they have a background in this and who's rather practical and was just every time he starts talking about like the, doing what he's doing here, doing this fucking name drop fucking philosopher soup word salad or whatever the fuck it is, you just stop him and go, what the fuck do you mean? Like, what does any of this mean? Yeah, uh, I can't imagine that they view their audience uh, as like lay people. Uh, actually, honestly, I can't imagine that they view their audience as anything but lay people because they they want to sound intelligent. So like you said, they'll just name drop to sound intelligent, to sound like they really are saying something important. When really what they're saying is just meaningless. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, when I've had or wrong when I've had sociologists or philosophers on to talk about anything sort of related to this, they have in fact, um, explained things to me in a way that you might explain something to somebody at a party because they weren't really that concerned with whether or not I thought they were intelligent they wanted to get their point across to me and to the people that might listen. Yeah. And their point wasn't, look uh, how smart I am. Yeah. But, uh, Jordan Peterson and James Lindsay are extremely concerned with whether their audience views them as intelligent. That is their number one concern on every, uh, every episode. Do the work is the modern phrasing. We do the praxis. We do the activism. I mean, that's how they make their money. They make their money by pretending to be intelligent, you know? And then that will cause, as society changes, the what he called the inversion of praxis, the, the social conditioning to rain down on people and actually reify the transformation of society. So this, I think, is where Marx had inverted Hegel, and this is where we have a shift from the pre-modern transcendental spiritual to the modern social spiritual. And this just becomes the playground of romantics and eventually the postmodernists who throw up their hands and say this whole thing is just this, you know, gigantic dynamic of power to where if you and I converse. I mean, at one point, I remember maybe 10 years ago, some feminists read, it didn't go very far, but they posited this very postmodern argument that there was no possibility ever for a woman to consent to sex with a man. Mm -hmm. Well, but that's the, who the, 
Is that do do they live in Canada and we can't get introduced to them, James? Or did you hear over here this at a hipster coffee shop? What do you mean? What do you mean you can't like? It's it's the my my token leftist from Canada that you, you wouldn't know them. They go to a different school. They go to a different school. They go to the they go to the Frankfurt school because there's always a patriarchal power dynamic. So there's always. No matter what, no matter how much, you know, she says she's interested or whatever, there is always, always her coercion. being coerced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, you know, kind of this huge shift. And you say, you know, academics get mired in these micro distinctions. Yeah. And that is partly their job. So, okay, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. But it's, it's also how they carve out territory, though. That is, that there is an incentive structure. They carve out territory yes. is by but, examining something closely. This, Thanks, Jordy Pete. Is, uh, it's so important to, to realize that if we don't take a step back and understand this bigger picture, that this is a fundamentally theological architecture. Mm -hmm. I like knowing exactly where my meat comes from. And with Moink, I know it's coming. <laughs> of course, it's a fucking commercial for meat on the Ew. Jordan Peterson with show. A freezer full of Moink. Why is it called Moink? That sounds disgusting. Moo Oink. Oh, it's Moink Box. Ugh. It's Moo Oink, dude. That's where it comes Dude, from. Dude, it it just sounds so disgusting. Like I wouldn't want something to be moink. Like if you if you put your hand in something and it feels moink, you don't want that. You don't want your hand in that. Well, we could even go back farther than that, I think. So, you tell me what you think about this is sure. a set of ideas that I've been working on more recently. So, um I I mentioned earlier that you could think about Marxism in, in two ways, and the new Marxist variants that we've been talking about, you can take, you can think about them as um, expositors of the doctrine of power, that every social relationship between human beings can be understood as a function of domination and compulsion. So that would be... No, no, that's, maybe that's how you're, uh, like, yo, I don't... I don't. I don't think that they're going down to like the micro level of my friendship or like the way in which I talk to my neighbor. I think that it, I don't, I can't imagine that it, they're talking about individual one-on-one -on -one, uh, the ways that people relate to one another. They have to be talking about <clears throat> like groups of people and different like identities within society. Yeah. Like maybe the relationship between like, a customer and a, a service worker. Right. Like right. Not, well, you're, not you, the relationship between like two friends or neighbors, or even two acquaintances yeah. or like two coworkers that work at, that have the same position. Oh, there could be a little bit of that going on there, but yeah, like neighbors or like somebody, somebody you just met at the bar or whatever. I, 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 yeah, I think, I think you might be onto it. It's like the, the relationships, between people in situations, I guess, where their status in society matters, then yeah, I guess it's all the, the, the relationship is going to be dictated via power. That would be friendship, family, economic relationships, yeah. history itself, every single social relationship. Now that has the advantage of extreme simplicity. And so what does he mean by social relationship though? It. It's like, what does the word social mean in that context? I would hate to listen to him try to explain it. <laughs> Comprehensively explanatory, so that's attractive on a psychological front. And then there's a nefarious element, and the nefarious element is that 
well, if it's all about power, then not only am I thoroughly justified in my use of power, because after all, that's just what you're doing, but it also uh, justifies any accusation possible, because you might come up with a claim, for example, that you're a proponent of free speech, and I can easily say, well, no, like as a white colonialist benefiting from the privilege of your position, you just use the argument that such a thing as free speech exists to justify your position in the power hierarchy. Right. And that- but I wouldn't say that if he was like, I believe in free speech. I'm like, why you block me so quickly on Twitter? Uh, I don't think I've ever met someone who actually is a free speech absolutist. Uh, and I, I don't think I'd want to. The people who claim to be are bad enough. Right. But I just don't think like if people are saying that to him, I don't know. Hopefully they're trolling him. That'd be funny. If he like first came <laughs> up with this idea, then uh, if he unblocks me, I'm just going to start giving him back the analysis he thinks I should give him and see what he does. <laughs> that's a universal criticism and so then i can take anything that you might claim as positive and just transform it with intellectual jujitsu into a manifestation of the power drive you know and and it's fair to say that the drive to power is a human motivation but Mm -hmm. it's not the only it's not the only one that's right and it's also fair to say that when social relations are corrupted they become corrupted in the in the direction of power, but it's com- that's a completely 100% different proposition than the claim that all human social relationships are predicated on power. I mean, you mean all, do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, so maybe I, they don't. Okay. So yeah, I, so, I don't know anyone so who thinks that. Claim, but then there's this undercurrent of bitterness and resentment, and I see this system of ideas that's playing out as an extension, actually, of the battle between Cain and Abel. Yes. Because, okay, what? so why yes? There's bitterness, this envy. There's the, the, the you know, the, the very devout, and, and, or, or devout maybe is not the right word, but the very obedient Abel. And then he, he has these advantages. Cain gets very upset. Yes, well, that's— And, so, and comes to murder him. This is, I yes. guess, exactly the motivation. And this is, how do they proceed? You know, so if, if we take seriously the concept that this is a Gnostic heresy, and you look yeah. back, whether it's— Jews pre Christ. How did you come to that conclusion that it was a Gnostic? Oh, why'd you cut him off? I wanted to hear what he was going to say about Jewish people pre Christ. Because I, I didn't know you had pursued this all the way back into the religious realm. Well, I stumbled on a recommendation <clears throat> uh, onto a philosopher named Eric Foglin, who's got quite the reputation for having named Marx as a Gnostic. And then I went down a rabbit hole reading about Gnosticism and reading about um, Hegel and his relationship to this kind of mystical reinterpretation of Christianity, you know, Glenn Alexander, McGee, Eric Foglin, these, these analysis, I read a little bit of Evola, not a big fan of Julius Evola's writing, but I read a little, he makes these claims quite strongly as well. And uh, then I just started to read the Gnostic texts myself and, and the Hermetic texts. And so I stumble, I, I mean, I've been claiming for a decade that this is a religious yeah, phenomenon, yeah, yeah, it is. posing as, as sociology in some phenomenon, in some, some fashion, but this is what really finally allowed me to put it together. And, and it doesn't matter. Gnosticism is, by its nature, parasitical. It's that we have discovered through whatever means, divine you know, revelation, whatever it happens to be, the secret salvific knowledge that they don't want you to know. So there's some higher truth that's hidden. And maybe there's a code written in the Bible that if you have the secret means of divining it, oh, that's what now he that's thinks a- Marxism is? 
But he's he's describing some shit that Jordy Pete believes about, like a uh, belief in a higher power or a god. Now, yeah, is that what he thinks Marxism is? <clears throat> it's so I think you and I are always going to struggle with this stuff because we're like, what is he saying? And the people this is intended for are like, <clears throat> boy, isn't it great that this guy's saying all these smart things? So I think you and I are going to tend to struggle, not because like we're stupid, although, you know, we're definitely stupid about some stuff. We've said dumb shit on the stream before, but like, it's because like, <clears throat> because we're like, like more, I don't know. I'm like less interested in like ideas and more interested in outcomes. And the, these people like exist in like this galaxy brain realm where <clears throat> everything is based on some f dead philosopher. And it's like, well, I, that doesn't, makes sense what i would want to know though is like like i i have i have never heard someone describe marxism as like some divine secret that we've like unlocked to explain uh, like whatever he just described it as i've literally never heard anyone say that so what i want to know is like who has said that just like a single name of one person who has ever said that you can determine what the bible really means and when you go and you talk to the priest and the priest says no that's a heresy they turn around and say he just doesn't want you to know that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which when you say it goes back to cain and abel it goes back further than that it goes back to the serpent and eve god hath not said you know you've got this em emblem of of all authority that has declared this thing, then you have this. But they're, they're like full on biblical literalists. They think that Adam and Eve actually existed. I, I don't think anyone said that. And like, I always tell you, I'm the one who gets the, the nasty commentary about the things we say on the show. So. Well, if, if they don't, then what he's saying is just a metaphor and it's a really stupid metaphor because it's a metaphor for nothing. He hasn't compared it to anything. So, so it seems to me that, that this is a way of conceptualizing the relationship between the religious and the philosophical and the sociological. So if you, if you delve deeply enough into the battle between two idea sets and you keep going down, as you go down to more and more fundamental layers, you approach the religious because the religious is by definition the most fun and and i'm offering a definition here that religious is by definition the most fundamental he's like but i'm offering the definition so i'm telling you that this is the, the def by definition according to me the religion is the most fundamental check this out it's, it's a little bit slippery but you approach the religious because the religious is by definition the most fun and and i'm offering a definition here that religious is by definition the most fundamental but what if that's not what if like that's nobody else like that's what if that's not the definition what if you're just making shit up certainly not my definition right uh definitely not the definition that's in the dictionary and i would assume not the definition that most people think of when they think of religion i would bet <clears throat> philosophers and theologians alike would be like, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like the, so you can certainly you have a fundamental belief that is non-religious. I myself am not religious at all. So 
I would assume all of my fundamental beliefs are non-religious. I could be wrong, but I would have to see evidence that I am wrong because as far as I know, all of my fundamental beliefs are non-religious. Looking at something like the culture war that's going on, you can, you can see it as a battle between ideas, but then when you trace the ideas back, you mm -hmm. see it as a battle between narratives, and when you trace the narratives back, you see it as a battle between fundamental narratives, and as you approach the most fundamental narrative, you are treading on religious grounds. Yes. So what happens in the story of Cain and Abel, of course, is that... I just feel like Cain the most fundamental narrative is just reality. Like, why, why is that? Why can't that be the most fundamental narrative? I think that the mo the, what he's just saying, the words that he put together, the most fundamental narrative, is like something that's fucking impossible to define. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could be that too. <laughs> it just sounds I don't really smart. know what he means by fundamental narrative. So. Right, like, <laughs> and like, again, I don't want to listen to him spend 20 minutes explaining that shit, so I'm glad he moved on. <laughs> But like, right. I, I would say, let's just go ahead and base our, our beliefs on reality and, you know, the effect that our beliefs have on reality. And he knows they're second rate. And because they're second rate and he's not all in, his sacrifices aren't accepted. And that's just a phenomenological truth, which is life is so difficult that unless you make the proper sacrifices, you're not going to succeed. And then... He calls God out on that, says the cosmos is constituted in an ill-gotten manner because I'm not successful. And God basically says, well, if you did things right, things would work out for you. And instead of Cain accepting that as corrective information, his countenance falls, so goes the story, and he flies into a murderous rage and destroys his own ideal because he really wants to be able. Right. And then the descendants of Cain become... He's murderous, Cain, obviously, yes. because he kills Abel. And then the descendants of Cain become genocidal. Right. But so. that's like some sins of my father shit. Fuck that bullshit. That doesn't make any sense. There are plenty of people whose parents <laughs> were violent people who are well-adjusted, kind members of our society. So this is yep. just nonsense. Yeah. But that's mostly because it's from a Bible that I don't think that he's read in the last 20 or 30 years, to be perfectly honest. Like... I'm not sure if he's ever read the whole thing. So, Maybe so he has. the way the biblical narrative essentially opens, because Cain and Abel are the first two real human beings, right? Because Adam sure. and Eve are made by God. Everybody so before him, fucking the, knock off. The biblical narrative portrays the battle between the spirit of Cain and Abel as the fundamental battle that rages what, in the human What is heart. his definition so of real human beings? Again, we can just be really happy that he's not going to go on for 20 minutes about what that means. <laughs> <laughs> like is he saying uh like adam and eve didn't have belly buttons is, is that what he's saying <laughs> this is this is amazing because like i am not religious you're not religious but i feel like he's really fucking he's really painting this this r these religious stories in a way that's like more ridiculous than they deserve <laughs> yeah <laughs> spirit of proper sacrifice which is what abel represents the spirit of improper sacrifice that's cain and the cascading consequences of improper sacrifice and then a metaphysical battle between those two spirits that like characterizes, a ball well that's an accordion starts right so that's yeah. the central battle in history and i think of marxism as i think the french revolution was a manifestation of the spirit of cain and that the 
the, what the fuck? Wait, does he is he on the is he on the wrong side of the French Revolution? Is he on the let them eat cake side of the French Revolution? I think he is. <laughs> He's like they <laughs> they turned down the cake like Abel turned down God's advice. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. So. He's essentially saying any sort of strife, any strife at all, boils down to either Abel or Cain. He also said that he believes that there is a proper way to do sacrifice. Uh, which, I mean, I get it. He's a Christian. Christians do believe in sacrifice. At least... I think most Christians believe in sacrifice or at least believe that sacrifice was required until Jesus fulfilled the ultimate sacrifice. And now we don't have to sacrifice things to God under the new covenant. But anyway, that's wonky to think that there's a right way to sacrifice something and there's a wrong way to sacrifice something. It's also, it's also wonky to think that they shouldn't have stormed the Bastille. If you ask me, (laughs) (laughs) workers rise up (laughs) testation of the spirit of Cain and then the postmodern enterprise that's besetting us now another manifestation of the spirit of Cain and it's the I mean that's really convenient that like everything you dislike is a manifestation of the spirit of Cain isn't that convenient that just like it just so happened I I know this is like the the most mind-boggling coincidence but it just so happens that Everything that Jordan Peterson dislikes is also, by coincidence, a manifestation of the spirit of Cain. Right. It's so fucking like the most devoutly religious apologist would never say that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like fucking what's that guy's name with the banana? Remember the guy with the banana? I forget his name. Kirk Cameron's uh, Uh, Cameron's daddy. It doesn't matter his name. That guy wouldn't say that. I, I don't remember I don't exactly his name. Understand. But like, I swear he could like, he could be holding an ice cream cone and like the ice cream falls off and he'd be like, God damn it, Kane. <laughs> Manifesting yeah. your spirit into my ice cream cone and jumping off the, the, the cone part. He'd go and accuse the person who scooped the ice cream at the ice cream shop of being a Canaanite. this is like this is like a fucking thousand miles wide and like two inches deep right because they're like all over the place yep (laughs) i mean we're like that in a way but we're like aware of it we're we're not like oh we're having deep conversations here of dave and hk (laughs) i feel like we've thought about this more deeply than they appear to be but it's so it's it's so odd it's just so weird that 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 basically new atheism turned into this, which is fundamentalist Christianity being sold to you as like rational skepticism. It's odd. I don't, I don't think I would say new atheism turned into this, but new atheism, new atheism was tangential to this. Like if you were making a cake, it would be like the flour. (laughs) Flour isn't a cake, but you, you need it for the cake. I I would say it's more like the sprinkles on the cake. The relationship. They're definitely there. Everyone can see power. That's the ruler of all things. But I do know that the spirit of Cain is indistinguishable, say in the biblical corpus 
from the spirit of Satan, and Satan is the the satanic ruler is definitely the ruler that uses power and compulsion and deception. Also, if you read the book literally, the good guy. Yes. To control everything. I mean, I think your connection that you're looking for um, boils down. I mean, Foucault gives us the hint, right? Everything is a prison, this carceral power. So what is power in this analysis? It's the power to compel, to, to compel, extort, right, to, right. to, extort, yeah, to yeah. force behaviors, to yeah, 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 paraphrase absolutely. Larry Fink. And so, right. Like, who the fuck is Larry Fink? Do you think anybody in the audience that they're watching, that they're listening, do you think what percentage of the people that they, that watched this video, whether they're here to criticize it or to watch it because it's some kind of intellectual tour de force, I don't even remember the guy's name now, Fink. What percent? I, less than a percent, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. Fink and it's, bloody black. I don't know, therefore, we, no one again, knows. If we take this Gnostic <laughs> concept seriously, the Gnostics believe that there is an all-good, transcendent God behind everything that's so good that he's completely pure spirit, completely uncorruptible. And therefore, anything material must not be of that. It must be, in fact, evil. And so, where did it come from? And they've got a mythology for it, but it doesn't matter. This, create, this character called the Demiurge comes into being. Uh, through a series of kind of cosmic accidents in the pleroma, as they call this. And the Demiurge... That's what you... That's a word you... Nobody's used that word in six years. It's artisan or builder. He's the architect of the world. So he builds out the world, but in fact, he's a demon. And so he builds out the world as a... Good on the demon for building shit for us. God in Genesis, in in Genesis Thanks, demons. ...the fruit has imprisoned Adam and Eve in the garden. We all know that... He just doesn't want you to um, know that Amun like, Ra sneezed out the entire earth and humanity. Kim, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this same system, this is what Cain's rejecting. He's giving his second-rate sacrifices. He's not doing what he should. Mm-hmm. God's telling him if he does what he should, things will work out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, this system's corrupt. Right, exactly. And yes, so this exactly. is the same Yeah, pattern. he calls God out on his misbehavior, essentially. That's which right. Is a, if you don't think that's a sin of pride, there's definitely something wrong with the way that you're thinking. Right. But what if God's being a dick? They never think about that possibility. If I was a god, I wouldn't be very nice. Would you imagine like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? Well, what happens when you're a god? Uh, well, I mean the the entire Old Testament is like just God being a an asshole to everyone constantly. Right. You got some therapy uh, before the the New Testament, so that's good. Uh, he's still an asshole in the New Testament. He's just not an asshole to everyone constantly. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's an asshole to most people sometimes. Improving your character is a journey, HK. <laughs> and so I think that this is ultimately the Gnostic motivation. It must have been. I wonder if it's as surprising for you as it is for me that this is the rabbit hole that you've ended up going down. You know, I had no idea when I started investigating these theories. Follow the money, baby, as money comes from that fucking fucking Christian nationalist guy whose name I forget. Um, But that's where his money comes from. So that's the rabbit hole he went down. Root consequence of that investigation would be to move down levels of analysis into the religious domain. So I did start to understand that as you move down levels of analysis, you inevitably end up in the religious domain because the religious domain is the deepest level of analysis. Right. But maybe you do, but the rest of us don't. Yeah, he's just, he first of all said, oh, this is a, by definition, but I'm the one defining it. I'm just defining it here. And now he's saying that it's true because he just defined it what feels like six hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
Yeah, he just watch. He'll cite himself as source. Right. So, but it, I mean, has it surprised you that that you're I mean, sitting here talking about Gnosticism, for example, yes. while trying to diagnose the ills of the modern world? Yes, it, it has surprised me. It, it's very curious as well because I was this character. I had this. I mean, it cuts through every human heart, as Solzhenitsyn mm -hmm. very eloquently put. I oh, keep that motherfucker's name out your mouth. That book, Gulag Archipelago, is a fucking great book. Um, do not fucking listen to these people when they try to tell you about Sultanitsyn, go read the Gulag Archipelago. It's long as fuck, but it's a good fucking book. And it talks, it's, it's so good. It's so good. This character, I was a very frustrated academic and I think it's typical. What is the most common, I mean, maybe there are others, but one of the more common psychiatric disorders that academics complain about is imposter syndrome, right? They, oh, I've got this degree, but if I'm actually stupid because the PhD earning process is quite difficult and you're always surrounded by people who know far more than you do who remind you of it on a daily basis and so you end up with this massive amount of imposter i think when people tell you they have imposter syndrome they're, they're saying look how humble i am i'm the humblest man on earth give me the award for it <laughs> i'm the most humble i win the humility contest i'm not really you know good at the thing i'm not as good as they think i am this kind of delusional complex. And rather than taking the certification and saying, you know, well, okay, I've earned this. So if and there's so one thing that I've learned about PhDs in the United States, uh, possibly the world, it's that you can be an absolute fucking moron and still get a PhD. PhD does not mean you're smart. Right, it means you learned uh, about a very specific thing and were able to demonstrate that you learned about it. You might be yep. completely inept in all other areas of your life, and that's fine, actually. Most people are only really actually good at a couple things, and that's fine. Yeah. This baseline where, you, you like Marx, what do you do with your time? You dig into some area, you finally see the secret you know, truth nobody else saw within that. And I'm just talking as an impulse. I'm not getting religious yet. And you see this, and then you write and you write and write, and seven people read it. Nobody cares. Okay. And you start to think to yourself, why am I not getting career advancement? Why am I not getting the accolades? Why, why isn't society, or if you're Marx, why isn't everybody else just paying my bills? Don't they see how important my social theory that I'm writing is? So you're doing something that's, that's not particularly useful. James, where does your funding come from? But it's right. Cain. This is a second. That's also Lucifer, by the way. It is. Right. You're making a second-rate sacrifice and expecting to get first-rate results, and that jealousy grows right. there. Well, yeah. Well, that intellectual pride is a big part of that too. You know, I, I worked saw, so hard. Where's well, mine? Well, it's it's there's it's worse than that. Even it's not even that I worked so hard. Like I had clients, for example, now and then who had a Luciferian problem, and they were often very smart people mm -hmm. who... Oh, I'm so glad this guy's not seeing clients anymore in, yeah. in clinical practice. My God, if somebody needs some help, and then what, they, what do they end up with? Jordan Peterson telling them their fucking problem is Satan? Yeah, D doing an exorcism on them. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, here, eat this steak and fucking pray to Jesus while I get the demon out of you. Put in the work. <laughs> That's certainly the case. But they were very annoyed because it was clear to them that they were smart as or smarter than everyone else. Yes. And yet the world hadn't unfolded at their feet. Yes. You know, and so they were very bitter and resentful about that. I mean, likely they were smarter than you. In Milton, 
like Lucifer, who's the bringer of light, is definitely an envious intellect, right? Yes. And he's the, the, the angel who in God's heavenly hierarchy rose the highest and fell the furthest. And that's definitely, that's something, that is definitely something that can characterize intellect because the human intellect is a remarkable um, Did he fall the furthest? I mean, hold on. Like Lucifer, in, in like the canon of Christianity, Lucifer rules over hell. Like he has essentially his own domain. Yeah, but if heaven is in the clouds and, and hell is under the ground, he fell the furthest. I would say the ruler didn't fall furthest. The, no, I mean like, uh, HK. HK, we're talking like literally. We're talking about literally altitude here. <laughs> Still, the low-level demons probably fell further down, right? I thought hell was at the very bottom. Yeah, but does hell have different? Like, is is there like a mountain in hell with like a a castle on top, and that's where Satan rules, and then all the lowly demons like till the land under the castle and grow all the no it's communist down there they grow in hell haven't you been paying attention it's communism down there (laughs) that's true yeah it's perfectly flat (laughs) it's also the thing that can fall the farthest and that wounded intellect is the most vicious of spirits. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of that combination of Cain and Lucifer. And I'm being told that in Christian doctrine, Lucifer, con- Lucifer rules the earth. That's what he said earlier, but I, I, I did not know that. Corpus, if you take the stories apart, that the spirit that raises the Tower of Babel is the wounded spirit of Lucifer and Cain. Right, and that's erecting a technological alternative to God, but partly in an attempt. But they built a tower. Worship I mean, let's let's of- let's be honest here. We our technology is so far beyond God. Like, if you read the Bible, like, what does God do? Like, he walks on water. Big whoop. We have like speedos. But <laughs> and whatever that weird fucking thing that Mark Zuckerberg was on. <laughs> Like what? He floods the earth? Like big whoop. We could make the earth absolutely unlivable for thousands of years. We have so many nukes. We could vaporize the earth. Not really, but but partly in an attempt to worship intellect instead of well, instead of vaporize the surface of the earth. Right, and that's erecting a technological alternative to God, but partly in an attempt to worship intellect instead of well, instead of, uh, well, instead of whatever God might be, the highest, it's something like the highest spirit of genuine self-sacrifice, right. something like that. Well, the so, fact is that the, the, the wounded intellect or the wounded narcissist doesn't humiliate itself in front of anything, but the world or God demands. But you are a wounded intellect or a wounded narcissist, and you have humiliated yourself in front of the world, James, in front of the world. Has anybody seen that video of him playing with a sword? <laughs> that you constantly humble yourself in front of what's happening to you. Mm. You know, mm. right now, they get this weather thing, or it's not weather, these fires and the smoke. Well, guess what? Everybody in Washington, D.C., New York City has to deal with that. Reality has imposed itself. The smoky air is here. You don't have a choice about whether it's here or not. You have to, you have to humble yourself before what's happening around you mm. and make adjustments accordingly. You don't get to just assert, well, I think the world should be this way. I think God should honor my sacrifice. Yeah, right. I right. think I should have the tower, however it is. No, if your sacrifices aren't... So wait, they think, they think that the, the smoke in the air is, is God? 
Like that's God doing that? <clears throat> uh, probably yes. Okay, and they think the way to solve the smoke in the air is sacrifice. Probably yes. I mean, I agree the way to solve the smoke in the air is sacrifice, but I think sacrifice as in like buy an electric car, even though it's more expensive. Ask is what have you done wrong? Yes. Right. And that's more or less by definition, right? Because if the, uh, this is also, also just what, what, people buying I electric see. cars won't solve the climate crisis. So just want to make that clear. Yeah. It has to be like systemic action by governments problematic yep. in the so-called manosphere online it's because all the men who are unsuccessful are clattering on about what's wrong with women it's <laughs> pray like, the smoke away right? <laughs> here's a little bit of a callback to last week wrong yes right and that's more or less by definition right because if the this is also what what one of the things i see problematic in the so-called manosphere online it's because mm -hmm. all the men who are unsuccessful are clattering on about what's wrong with women it's like mm -hmm. by definition there's nothing wrong with women yeah. Right. If you're not adapting yourself to women, it's not the women's problem. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. It's your problem. And that's by this is the guy who, the who in believes in forced monogamy and that women are like a uh, fucking a product of the fucking chaos dragon and shit like. Like this is something he has never said before. <clears throat> oh, he said some version of this before, but like he only says it in passing, right? <clears throat> And he okay. says it specifically when he's talking about like his his caricaturized version of the manosphere, like <clears throat> that movie, uh, the the Sarkeesian effect. If it would have, if he would have been more popular at the time, I bet he would have been in that fucking thing. Probably, yeah. To your relationship to the world is that if your sacrifices aren't being rewarded, the right question to ask is how am I prideful and blind? Not how is the world constituted in an ill-gotten manner? Yes. Okay. So now you said something interesting biographical. You, you just I don't think it, that that's or, true. Like said, a lot, plenty of people sacrifice a lot and don't get ahead because we have set up society in such a way that we've made it just mostly a luck-based system. You know, if you're lucky enough to be born wealthy, then you'll get by great. If you're not lucky enough to be born wealthy, then you better hope you're lucky enough to to win the lottery or to to make it in entrepreneurship, which is extremely difficult. <clears throat> or your life will be that of sacrifice for very little reward. Yeah, like if you're working minimum wage, like you're you're fucked in today's society. Life where you were bitter i think i've got that right yeah. and feeling that you were <laughs> marginalized and that the world wasn't laying itself at yeah. your feet as a consequence of your sacrifices so tell me a little bit about more more about that when that happened and why do you think that the same thing isn't true now or do you you know you know what i mean because if something like that has got you in its grip yeah. wait doesn't he believe in the story of jesus in in which jesus was persecuted and jesus had a bit of a rough time because of the way society was structured by the romans Yes, but he, he also thinks that that was a good thing and that that had to happen regardless of how society was. Gotcha. I think. Gotcha. So we could all be absolved of our sins or whatever. Yeah. Like if you read the Bible in like literally, if you think that Jesus was literally a person who, who was killed on the cross, then the people like that being part of God's plan, the people who did that had no other choice. They didn't have free will 
to like choose whether to kill him or not. That was destined to happen. There's nothing they could have done to avoid that. You know, it's the same like in, in that passage where uh, the, the Pharaoh is going to let Moses and his people go and then God hardens his heart so that he doesn't let Moses and his people go. You think like you've God just messes around with free will. You know what They're, I mean? Because if something like God's that not a big fan of free will. Yeah. You think you've escaped from it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've no, escaped right, from right, it. No, right, 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 right. So, so let's go to like, so how long ago was, tell me a little bit more about that. How long ago was that? This would have and, what, and what were you doing? What was your career at that point? So this is right after I left academia, which I didn't get chased out. There's a urban legend online, of course, from the people who hate me that I couldn't get a job. No, I, I took... 100% of the job offers that I applied for. In other words, zero. Okay, and so, and so, so what, what, well, what, what was your academic... Yeah, he thought he was going to be like a, like, he thought he was going to be like a Shermer or a Harris and go on like the new atheist speaking circuit. That didn't work out so well for him because he didn't end up being like that. Like they didn't even take a picture of him in front of the fucking plant. Well, I, have, I got a, a bachelor's in physics, yeah. a master's in math, and I finished a PhD in math in 2010. It's a PhD yeah. in math. Yeah. Okay, okay. So you were, you were, th those are very difficult disciplines, right? So if you rank yes. order disciplines by IQ, math is actually at the top. It's hard. I think it's math first and then by physics. By IQ? Right, so you got yeah. well, a PhD of course. in math. Yes. Okay, so you can clearly think on the quantitative. Jordy Pete's trying to fill people's IDW bingo cards, my friend. Side of things. <laughs> yes. So, okay, okay. And so then you decided not to apply for academic jobs. Yes. Okay. And so why did you decide not to apply for academic jobs? So at the time, the last, so this is 2000, maybe seven or eight. I don't remember which year was first. The last couple of years that I was doing my PhD, we had all these, you know, teaching meetings, or I don't want to say faculty meetings because I was a grad student, but equivalent to a faculty meeting. And the new rule of the, of the university was fail the smallest number of kids possible. One per, per course, no more. And I'm thinking, I wow. teach math. What this are we was doing? what university? University of Tennessee. Wow. His failures, that that I don't believe him. Was established. The, it, mostly informally. The convention. But yes. It was, it was, we need to focus on student retention. Don't alienate students with bad grades. Oh, yeah, that's that consumerist in. approach to Correct. To, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's unholy all financial. alliance of bloody managerial speak and unholy wokeism. Exactly. God, bloody yeah. managerial speak and unholy wokeism. That was the, uh, actually the, the second working title for this podcast. So what he just described is not wokeism, like a university treating students like customers is not woke. That's like the opposite of woke, like purely capitalistic universities is the entire opposite of woke. University, the it's bastard right. child of the two worst monsters you could possibly put together. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to participate in that. So I chose like I wanted to become a professor and fail everyone. If I can't teach where the students who succeed get treated for success and the students who fail, fail and have to try again or go somewhere else or do something different. I didn't want to participate in that. I, I even, you know, having he's like, I did, you're having a hard time in this class. Get out of my office. I cared very much. If I certify somebody as being competent in calculus and they go on in an engineering program and they're not competent in calculus, I'm doing actually a grave evil. And if the university is telling me I have to do this or show up and talk to the dean and explain why I failed a third kid in the class, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't believe this story either. So I just laugh. Yeah, this that's ridiculous. At least I, I didn't know that the uh, the uh, 
they had their meetings at a hipster coffee shop. We'll go. How have you kept body and soul together since then? I'm glad that wasn't and a moink commercial. I don't want to think about and then things being slash joint and how disgusting. Okay, and so how have you kept body? We'll go. How have you kept body and soul together since then? And because your career is kind of mysterious. And then also, let's go back to this issue of of bitterness. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So after leaving the university, I just got uh, I just got a job. I, actually, I didn't. I became a massage therapist, which is the internet. Thing. Oh, is just oh, oh. Um, oh, not a mysterious story. I would not I, want him touching I, my body. Two components to that story. My wife is one, so I had an into the profession, you know, and a direct line where I understood what it is and what it does. And secondly, I had injured myself doing jujitsu early in my twenties, and it turned out that massage therapy was what actually fixed it. Where all these doctors I had seen. Otherwise, I would have been a jujitsu master. Able to figure out how to sort out that what I had actually done is messed up my psoas muscle. Mm -hmm. And so the massage therapist was able to massage the problem out of my psoas and the subsequent problems out of my lower back muscles and glutes and, and thighs. And it fixed it. And I think no butt massage had, fixed know, me. Terrible episodes, lower back pain. So I said, I want to do this for people. So let's go. And so I started studying simultaneously medical textbooks on muscle pain and going to massage school, which is a little less rigorous. Mm -hmm. and, at the, and it did this for a number of years. Well, being academic, I became a little academically bored. This is a fine career and I enjoyed what I did and was very helpful and rewarding, but I needed some academic stimulation. So I started to read philosophy of science. I started to get in discussion forums online. This is where I discovered kind of the feminism, you know, explosion that was kind of happening in blog, blog spaces all over the internet and everybody's getting accused of this and that. And I got involved in a little bit regretfully now in the new atheism movement and got caught up in all of that for a few years. But the resentment came. I think most of the new atheists actually regret becoming involved yeah, in that. I think so. I even see but why? Echoes of that in Dawkins now, because yeah. he's seen what sort of children he produced. Right, yeah, very petulant, very, uh, very, very not healthy. Yeah, well, one of the things I learned from you what? was Catholic was about as sane as you get. Mm. What? what did they just right. say? Yeah. So you destroy. Like all the shitty new atheists, that, that means most of them that were popular are mad at the children they created. And that means, I guess, the people who read their books or whatever. And now we're like, oh, well, you suck now. <laughs> Which is <laughs> kind of what happened, right? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I think, I think it's, it was more about um, the kind of people who were super into atheism were the kind of people who were coming out of religion and were feeling very bitter about religion. Uh, like generally the people that are super into atheism aren't people who were never religious at all anyway. So yeah, like the kind of people who would identify themselves as atheists and go out of their way to tell you that they're an atheist are generally the people who are pretty bitter about religion. I myself was one of those well, you people. Think the Catholics are insane. I'm less bitter about religion. Right. Yeah. So you destroy that. I think, well, you think the Catholics are insane. You wait till you see what that's protecting you from. Right. It, that, Polytheistic paganism. Totally insane. Right. Oh, oh, boy. With some child sacrifice thrown in and some. Whoa. What? Whoa. Whoa. Just, all right, dude. Just fucking, just full on fucking. It, is it Wednesday or Thursday? <laughs> yeah, seriously. One more time. Uh, 
Yeah, we got to hear that again. Wait till you see what that's protecting you. So you destroy that. You think, well, you think the Catholics are insane. You wait till you see what that's protecting you from. Right. It, that, Polytheistic paganism. Totally insane. Right. Oh, point. boy. With some child sacrifice thrown in and some nature worship. Right. But the, of course, in, in, the, in the woke. Okay, so who exactly now, is he talking about right there? It's just, uh, <clears throat> it's talking about like uh, uh, the the McMartin preschool where uh, the they thought there were tunnels under the preschool where they uh, abused the kids because they were in a satanic cult. He's literally okay, talking about eighties. It's it's the eighties. Yeah, it's the eighties satanic panic. It's just a hundred percent. And <clears throat> you know, not for nothing, uh, PizzaGate and QAnon are just uh, built off of that. So yeah, that yeah, would like, which satanic panic is he? describing here <laughs> that was like the most that was pretty pilled what he just said although we don't have as much you know these pagan gods as they were construed in the pre-modern we have power dynamics mm-hmm. uh racism systemic racism and well, the, I, systemic I, racism is like a pagan god and it, it uh the belief in it actually causes you to eat children or whatever i sacrificed two hundred thousand cows to gaia yeah, that's so, right. You no, know, that's nature worship. That is finest exactly. to change the weather. To change the I weather is really pretty damn funny. It know? is. It's so. It's the so only thing you're supposed to sacrifice two hundred thousand cows to is, is the golden arches. Joke. <laughs> well, we do need a few of those sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so dark. you started working as a massage therapist. This was around two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Right. What the hell did your wife think you were doing? Oh, she thought she loved the idea that we were working together. Oh, she did. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's yeah. no, I, I disagree. The detour out of the math realm. It was, but you know, she's not of that world, and so she didn't really care one way or the other if I stayed in it or not. Oh. And uh, so she thought it was, you know, noble that I was picking up something different and working with my hands and working with people. Yeah, yeah well, and right. trying to to help people with chronic pain that. You know, for whatever. How long did you practice as a massage therapist? I was licensed for ten years, so I probably practiced regularly for about eight. Were you good at it? Were you able to attend? Quite good. Yeah, you can really get good at touch healing. eh? Yeah, touch healing. My wife's a massage therapist. Yeah, it's so interesting to see how much wisdom you have in your fingers. You know, if you if you wisdom fingers, if you place your hands on people, you can feel (laughs) weirdly enough. Where there are this, I didn't expect this to go in this direction. Like I was ready for anything, but if you would have told me that we were going to talk <laughs> about the wisdom of the fingers of a massage therapist, I'd have been like, okay, I, I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, but I'm skeptical of your claim that that's where this is going. Like if you'd never seen this and I knew you'd never seen this, <laughs> this is very much <laughs> approaching like woo woo territory. So can you back it up like yeah. five seconds? It's so interesting. My wife's a massage therapist. Yeah. It's so interesting to see how much wisdom you have in your fingers. You know, if you yeah. if you if you if you place your hands on people, you can feel, weirdly enough, where there are whatever a knot is, you know. Yeah. It must be a place where circulation isn't optimal or whatever. Well, yeah, you can feel where someone's muscles tense. Good job, JP. Have tightened up for some reason, but it's <laughs> yeah. so interesting that you can feel that out and that you can fix it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I was actually quite good at it. And mm-hmm. th- th- it was pretty nice. Uh, it's so interesting that you can so, massage someone. Maybe just in general, uh, that trying to get engaged in these academic activities, starting to try to write books and trying to get, you know, paid attention to it wasn't coming where the world's not laying itself out at my feet. My sacrifice isn't being honored, if you, if you will. But I got really like, I remember telling my wife a couple of times, like, I work so hard. I know I'm smart. Yeah. Why don't people recognize it? 
And it's so tempting to say, well, it must be something wrong with them. Do you think that, that was one of the things that tempted you into the new atheist movement? I think that was generally frustration with... But wait a minute, by 2015, because he's saying he was a massage therapist for like eight years, right? So by 2015, the new atheist movement was pretty much gone. At least like as I know it, right? I'm, I think it like... I think the new atheist movement sort of gave way to the manosphere right around 2010, 2011. And then new atheism functionally was dead as soon as that elevator gate thing happened. And I think that was 2012 or 2011. So I don't know what he thinks he was doing getting involved in new atheism in 2015. I think it, it there were there were remnants of it as late as like 2014. But yeah, you're right. By 2015, it was... It was dissolved. <clears throat> right. It turned into like YouTube skeptics and people who thought they were idiots. Thought the skeptics were idiots or thought themselves were the, idiots? The YouTube skeptics. And I, I tend okay. to agree that they were idiots. <laughs> Broadly okay. Southern Baptist South. Okay. I felt the, the new atheism movement was like a breath of fresh air for me because it was the first place I felt that I found in the world where I could say what I thought without, it, you know, whatever long... Set of but, but yeah, by that point, the, the new atheist movement, it was just all the shitheads who were kind of left. Everybody else took off after the Rebecca Watson incident. It like fell apart. So when you found the dying carcass of new atheism, you're like, oh, this is delicious. Or the, you know, the, the rotting <laughs> carcass. It's like, yo, dude, like who was left at that point? It would create for me, you know, everybody when I grew up in, in the South. Well, the thing about church. people like Dawkins, too, and, and Harris, for that matter, is they are characterized by a certain clarity of thinking. Right. Right. And, you know, I have some, what would you say, sympathy, certainly both for both Dawkins and Harris. I sure. think they're both good people in, in some fundamental sense. I mean, I know Harris was trying to ground a transcendental ethic in what he regarded as unshakable truth and he thought the unshakable truth was essentially objective reality and i also have some sympathy for oh that. no we listen to him tell uh, uh we listen to that fucking meditation one where he's like you can only get objective truth if you meditate correctly like i do <laughs> so he thinks objective <laughs> truth is whatever he meditates out his fucking ass right yeah he's uh he, i i don't think he used to be that far gone but yeah he's definitely at this point uh he's Fully immersed himself in woo, like but He's woo on that, the woo wagon, like 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 like. But the woo is coming from within his head, right? It's not like some yeah. like like a natural medicine woo or whatever. It's literally like woo that he invented himself. Which I mean, you, I mean, if you if you got to give it to Sam Harris, I mean, you give him credit for inventing his own personalized woo. It's like that fucking. Yeah. It's like that uh, <laughs> that song, your own personal Jesus. Yep. Yeah, he's uh he he didn't actually say it but he came like very close to uh like he he essentially said uh what was it you can't criticize me because I like no one can criticize me because I have I have meditated so much that I understand the universe and myself better than anyone else. I forget exactly what he said. It was in one of the episodes we did a while ago and it was like it was the most ridiculous thing it was one of the top five most ridiculous things we've heard through in this 201 episode journey yep and and <laughs> that's saying something because we watched an interview with david miscavige and we watched uh the sarkeesian effect last week and that shit's the shit <laughs> sam harris said is still top five yeah <laughs> because it's the postmodern critique of that in part that's led us to where we are right but uh 
But the problem is, is that, well, we, we can't go into that. There's lots of problems. As And you've started to stumble into that, obviously, looking at... Oh, I don't even believe in the Lord, but the Lord has had mercy on us. We've, we're coming up on the fucking... We're up against time here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, you know what's great is, you know, we're going to get to do the rest of this during red light, during a couple drinks. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with moving on. Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We will just watch the paint drying channel uh, during red light tonight, everybody. Um, but I do, like, I want to bring like a couple things. One, like the, the thing at the end where he's like, oh, I got involved in the new atheist movement in, in 2015. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. And I don't, he didn't explain it really. So I don't know who, like, what, were there still events going on? Like, this was, <clears throat> this was either right after or right before the final nail in the coffin of the accusations against Shermer, like, happened. Yeah. Uh, I think it was about the time that, uh, that Lawrence Krauss, uh, like, it came out that Lawrence Krauss was a, a creepy, a creep, a creepo. Right. Sexual and, predator. And it was... An accused sexual predator. And it was, I mean, he found new atheism basically right after Gamergate. If, yeah. if, if the timeline that, that he's saying is correct, because the, the, the film that we, that we unfortunately looked at actually I had a good time last week, but the film that we exposed people to last week was from 2015. So he entered new atheism during basically the absolute freak out about Anita Sarkeesian. Which, yeah, that wasn't like new atheism, but it wasn't, it wasn't like two separate circles. It was, you know, the, there was a good overlap there. A lot of the new atheist people figured out that they weren't going to be able to continue to grow their YouTube channels or whatever by continuing to explain why they don't believe the Jesus story or the Mohammed story or <laughs> whatever other story. So they moved on to targeted harassment against Anita Sarkeesian, among others, because, you know, that's just where you go. Yep. Uh, reactionary politics. Right. Because like, what else are you going to do? And it's because, I mean, think about it. I mean, that movement, you know, looking back on it, that, there were a lot of fucking white dudes in my age cohort and above at all them meetings. Very few women, yeah. uh, very so few people of color. The right wing grift shift is a whole lot easier if you're a, an old white guy. Absolutely. So, and the other thing is like James's move in this direction is due to his funding. And I just can't remember the guy who's funding him. It's we've watched a couple videos of, of him on this show. Do you remember when we were watching that video, those two people kind of in front of the ocean where it yes. was like really, really windy. And one of them was James Lindsay. And there was that older guy there. Yep. That older guy is the guy who is uh, funding his project. And that guy's like a, a Christian nationalist. Okay. That makes sense. So, well, everybody watching live, sweet relief, except that like when we move into red light on this show, it's not like, it's not like, it's not like you don't see things like Richard, Richard Dawkins, maybe complaining to Bill Maher for a while, or you might see, you might see that one guy who thinks he has his own theory of everything, or you might see Eric Weinstein. You could not going to see Brett Weinstein anymore because we only play clips of him on Sunday, but it's not going to get better. It's just not going to be this. And for that, I don't know. I would say you should be thankful, but you should at least like 
consider that it might get better. Uh, HK, you want to read the show out? Yes. Uh, so this has been the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do this show live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash Media. If you're listening live, then after the next song we play, we'll come back in for Red Light. If you're not listening live, think about it, and uh, you can join us for Red Light sometime. Uh, if you'd like to support us, you can do that in two ways. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex, and you can also support us at eplex.store, which is where if you support us, you'll get discounts on our swag. Uh, and it is very awesome swag. The the hat you saw Dave wearing tonight, the tinfoil hat, that is one of our swag items, and that is uh, a super awesome hat. I have one myself, and it's super cool. Uh, so feel free to support the show if you like what we're doing. And uh, other than that, have a good night. And uh, if you're here live, we'll see you after the song. This is Boomers by Periscope.
Hey everybody, there's a great new way to support Echoplex Media. Head on over to eplex.store and you can sign up at the $5, $10, or $20 a month level. Works just like Patreon. You get all the same benefits our patrons get. Plus, you get a discount for items in our swag shop. And coming soon, we have members-exclusive swag that you'll be able to pick up at a really low price. 